The following audio is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that this recording will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. Well, if you uh, have your Bibles with you at home, you might like to turn in them now. We're going to be uh, speaking today. We're going to be uh, reading today from Exodus chapter 14 as we continue in our series in Exodus. But of course, you know, in the Lord's uh, you know, sovereignty, he has guided us to this particular passage today, which speaks very much of not only a rescue for the Israelites, but God's great rescue of all of humanity through Jesus. So Exodus chapter 14, we're going to be reading from verses 5 through to 18. And this is the word of the Lord to us today. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them at camped at the sea by Pi-Haharoth and in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. Allow me to, uh, to pray as we come around God's word. Our gracious God, we look to you this morning as indeed the one who is the saving one. And we pray as we uh, look to this passage together, as we reflect on not just it, but the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that wonderful, amazing, saving act for all of humanity, 
We pray, Lord, that you might indeed encourage our hearts, but also, Lord, convict our hearts, reassure our hearts, and comfort our hearts. For we ask it for in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, there's probably not a, a more well-known story in all the Bible than here, this, this particular story that we find here in Exodus chapter 14, the parting of the Red Sea by Moses. You know, that great act of deliverance by God whereby the Israelites were saved from Pharaoh and his enormous army. Uh, for those who maybe have been on television last night, had tuned in, you may have seen that uh, famous movie, The Ten Commandments, and Charlton Heston playing Moses, raising up his staff and uh, holding his hands out, and the waters, you know, uh, amazingly parting of the Red Sea. You know, that crossing of the Red Sea and the people of Israel is the climax of the Exodus. That the people of Israel had been in slavery for 400 years, in fact, for over 400 years. And in Exodus 1, we're told what life was like for the people of Israel there in Egypt. They are to, we are told they were made to work as slaves, and the Egyptians made their lives very bitter with hard service, making bricks and doing all kinds of work in the field. See, the Israelites were being brutally oppressed and yet they continued to grow in number. And so Pharaoh made their lives even more miserable by ordering that all the male children of the Hebrew people were to be drowned in the Nile at birth. The people in their, in their, in their sadness, in their suffering, in their humility, in their fear, they cried out to God continually for God to save them, to rescue them. And we are told that God heard their cries. God heard them. For even in the midst of their particular suffering, in the midst of their, the hardship that the Israelites were going through, in the midst of the severe oppression of the, you know, by their Egyptian slave masters, God was at work. And in God's perfect timing, a child was born to an Israelite couple. And when they could hide him no more, they put him in a basket on the Nile River, where he was discovered by Pharaoh's daughter, who called him Moses. We are told that he called him, she called him Moses because his name means to be drawn up out of the water. Already we see a hinting of God's deliverance of his people. For using Moses, the one who himself was drawn out of water... God was going to deliver his people through this man, through the waters. And years later, we know that through a series of events, Moses, the once prince of Egypt, flees from Pharaoh, who is set on killing him. And Moses spends 40 years there in the wilderness before God speaks to him in a burning bush and tasks him with going back to Egypt and leading his people out of slavery. Moses comes before Pharaoh and tells him that God wants him to let God's people go. But Pharaoh refuses. And in response, Pharaoh makes the lives of the Israelites even more unbearable. 
And so God, through Moses, promises to send a series of plagues on the land to force Pharaoh to see the foolishness of his ways. You know, Pharaoh thought that he was the all-powerful one in Egypt, but God would show him who was the one who held all the power. And it is only after the final and tenth plague we see, which was the death of all the firstborn males in the land, that Pharaoh finally relents and lets the people of Israel go. Mark spoke last Friday, particularly on how God had given instructions prior to this plague of how his people could remain safe in the midst of this judgment. That through the killing of a lamb, the sacrifice of a lamb and the painting of its blood on the door frames of their houses, this would be a sign for the angel of death to actually pass over that house, leaving its residents untouched. And hence this would become known as the Passover. You know, with the death of his son, Pharaoh orders the Israelites to leave immediately. But then not long after that, has second thoughts. And that's where we pick up our passage this morning here in Exodus 14, verse 5. It says, When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people, and they said, What is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? Well, the Israelites left Egypt in a hurry. And a journey, God took, led them on a journey to this particular point at the Red Sea. And as they find themselves there, they find, suddenly find themselves in a hopeless and helpless and desperate position. For in front of them is the Red Sea, a seemingly impenetrable barrier. And behind them is the whole Egyptian army, this overwhelming force of chariots and horsemen and soldiers led by Pharaoh, who himself is bent on revenge. Look at verses 6 to 10 of our passage. So he made his red, speaking of Pharaoh, so he made ready his chariot, and he took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. And the Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army. And they overtook them at the Red Sea. And when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, they saw the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. The people feared greatly. Death and defeat looked inevitable. They, was, they looked as though there was no chance that they were going to survive this attack by probably the most powerful army of the day. And the people cry out to Moses in fear. And we read their words in verses 11 and 12 where he said, they say, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out here into the wilderness to die? What have you, why have you done this, Moses? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt, that leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? Well, of course, the people didn't say that at all. But faced in this particular situation, of course, their minds go blank to what they've previously said and, and, and think that you know, it's all Moses' fault, it's all God's fault that they find themselves here in the position that they do. But Moses says to the people, these 
amazing words inspired by the Lord where he says, Fear not, fear not, and stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord himself will fight for you. You have only to be silent. And God commands Moses to raise his staff and his hands. And as he does so, God parts the waters and enables the Israelites to cross over on dry ground. But the pursuing Egyptian army, God causes the wheels of the chariots to get bogged down and to get slowed down. And then he brings the waters of the Red Sea back over the top of them and destroys them. We see the record of that in verses 21 to 28 this morning of our passage. And our passage concludes with these words. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. And so the people feared the Lord. And they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. If you'll pardon the pun, this is a watershed moment in the history of the people of Israel. It is God's powerful and complete deliverance of his people from slavery and death. However, it was to be of more significance than just God's rescuing his people Israel. Like all of the Old Testament, it is a pointing forward to God's ultimate deliverer in Jesus Christ, the one whom Hebrews 3 refers to as the one greater than Moses. And it points us also to an an act of even greater deliverance by God that is saving people, saving humanity from slavery to sin and death. Paul writes about this in his letter to the Roman church in Romans chapter 6. You can perhaps read through that a little bit later on. But folks, this is what we as Christians celebrate at Easter. The human race is all hopelessly bound up in sin and, uh, and we're reminded of that in Romans 3.23 which says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That word all means everyone without exclusion. There is no person at all who has ever lived or who shall ever live. Who will, uh, uh, sorry, everyone who has lived and who shall ever live have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it is because of our sin that we find ourselves under the judgment of God. Romans 6.23 reminds us of these words, for the wages of sin is death. In other words, sin actually pays out the wages of death. That's wonderful, uh, script, that wonderful scripture in John three sixteen to 18 speaks of this as well. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That is the two options. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, 
but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Here we see in these passages that for all who, are, who do not put their faith and trust in Jesus as Saviour, they are, are, are going to face the judgment of God in their lives. Just as the Israelites were helpless to save themselves, we are too. We need someone to rescue us from our sin and from its consequences. We needed someone who was himself blameless before God to be our substitute, the one to take upon himself our sin and bear the just and right punishment of God on our behalf. Folks, that's what the cross and Good Friday was all about. But yet if, if, if it ended there, if it just ended with Jesus' death there on the cross, then it would have been all for nothing. Jesus needed to overcome death itself. We read in 1 Corinthians these words in chapter 15 and verse 17, the Apostle Paul says, And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Just as the, uh, the Passover and the, uh, the parting of the Red Sea went together for the Israelites there back in Exodus chapters 12 through to 14, so the, the, uh, Jesus' death on the cross on Good Friday and his, risen, uh, re- and his resurrection on Easter Sunday go hand in hand. They collectively provide the fullness of our, of our salvation. And that's why, folks, the resurrection today that we celebrate is such good news. For it is God's way of defeating sin and death for good. It is his demonstration that Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient to pay for our sins completely and to deliver us from their power, to deliver us from death and to release us from their bondage. Folks, this is God's free gift to all who will come to him in faith. When Jesus walked the face of this earth, we read his words in John chapter 5, verse 24, where he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life, literally crossed over, just as the Israelites crossed crossed over through the Red Sea. Folks, this is how a person is saved, how a person receives forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life, how a person is taken out from underneath the judgment of God. Again, reading from Romans chapter 8 and verse 11, it says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. In other words, a person needs to have God's spirit dwelling in us and we can only have God's spirit within us because of Jesus' death and resurrection. A person receives God's spirit through repentance and faith. 
after the resurrection, about, uh, about uh, seven weeks after the resurrection, the apostles were all gathered together in an upper room. And uh, Jesus had told them to wait there because he would send to them his comforter, the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on his disciples, Peter, the apostle Peter, then gives up and gives this incredible message in front of the crowd there in Jerusalem. And in that message, he says this. Peter says to the crowd, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, the ABC of faith, if you like, is that we need first and foremost to admit our need of a saviour, to admit that we are indeed sinners before God and under his righteous judgment. Not only that, we need also to believe, this is the B, we need to believe that Jesus is indeed the one who can save us from our sin, to put our faith in his death and resurrection on our behalf as our substitute. And then we are to commit, which is the C, and that's what Peter speaks about here in baptism, that we commit to God and to his ways. And when a person does this, they are born again by God's spirit. God himself comes to live within them. And folks, it is this same spirit who then begins a transforming work in the life of the believer, changing their passions and their desires, enabling the person to say no to temptation and sin, and also bringing the peace and the assurance to the person that they truly indeed belong to God. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 says, For the person who has come to a saving faith in Jesus, a person who has admitted their need, who has believed, who has committed to him, it says this, For therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the, li- for the, law of the Spirit of life has set us free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And I pray that there was a number of amens ringing out in your lounge rooms today when you hear those words. Of course, this transforming work of the Spirit is a lifelong process. There will be ups and downs. There will be times where we feel as though we're doing well and times where we feel as though we're failing and we're we're doing incredibly badly. But uh, folks... With the spirit within us, the overall trajectory of our lives will always be towards further love and obedience to God. Now, one final thing, folks, before we close after reflecting on this today. The resurrection of Jesus not only provides all these things that we have just spoken of, but it also guarantees that we will all one day have to stand before Jesus as our judge. Listen to the words from Acts 17, verses 30 and 31. The times of ignorance God overlooked. That is the times before, they, before we knew that salvation could be found in Jesus. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, to turn from our own ways, to turn away from trying to live our lives as we please, And instead to turn back to God and acknowledge that he is indeed God and that his ways are right and good and perfect. He commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. 
And of this he has given assurance to us all by raising him from the dead. This speaks of the fact that that day is coming, folks. And Jesus will be the one, the one whom God raised from the dead. He will be the one whom we will have to stand before and give an account of our lives. Folks, today we remember and celebrate the salvation that is ours in Jesus Christ. We remember Jesus this weekend indeed as Saviour. In fact, he comes to us as Saviour, the one who has died the death that we deserved because of our sin, the one who has borne God's punishment on our behalf, the one who himself has defeated sin and death, and who now offers us God's forgiveness and his eternal life through repentance and faith. But there is a day coming when he will come, not as saviour, but as as judge. The Bible speaks of the day where Jesus will return once again in all his glory. And on that day, it will be too late to accept his free gift of salvation. Folks, we're not guaranteed the next few hours, let alone are we guaranteed tomorrow or the months or years ahead. I think the times we find ourselves in very much show us that, don't, don't they? So I wanted to finish this morning with the words from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 23 to chapter 6 and verse 2. Paul, in knowing that people need to put their hope and trust in Jesus as Saviour, that there is no one else whom they can turn to. And folks, there is no one else whom we can turn to. He is indeed our only hope beyond death. The Apostle Paul writes then in light of that, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are his representatives. And God making his appeal through us. He says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Folks, this Easter, we're reminded that the only way to be reconciled to God is through faith in Jesus. And I pray that if you have not done that, that today you will hear these words, not my words, but indeed the words of God from his word. He implores us to be reconciled to him. He implores you to be reconciled to him. It goes on to say, For our sakes he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, the sinless one, took on sin on our behalf in order that he might pay for our sin and make us righteous in God's sight. Paul goes on to say, Working then together with him, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In a favourable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now... Now is the favourable time. Behold, now is the day of your salvation. Folks, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. And we appeal to you to take hold of that today, for today is the day of salvation. Don't let it and its significance pass you by. 
For those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, I pray today will be a great comfort, a great delight and a great joy for you of knowing that you are firmly and securely in the hand of God, in the hand of Jesus, who has indeed redeemed you through his death and resurrection, who has purchased you for himself and who now gives you his eternal hope forever and ever. Today, in the midst of our isolation, in the midst of our fear and all the uncertainty of our world, the one thing that we can, we can have security in and comfort in is knowing that we, are firmly, we firmly belong to God. We are firmly in his hands. And he will indeed be our deliverer, our rescuer, our strength, our comfort and our peace. Praise him for that. Amen and amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you today that you are indeed the living, peace-bringing and sending King. We thank you that through your death and resurrection that you have made a way possible for all people to have a confident hope and assurance in Christ. We thank you today that you have made a way, Lord God, for people to be reconciled to you and to know that no matter what happens in this life, that their security is found in you. To know that our sins through Jesus Christ have been forgiven, that we have been cleansed. Lord, there is no greater peace that comes from knowing that. We praise you this Easter. We praise you for the death and resurrection of our Saviour. We praise you for your grace, your mercy and your goodness. And we pray that you will in indeed help us to walk in the knowledge of this by faith each and every day. Amen. Thanks for listening to this audio from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.